Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me. You ready for round two? Well, we've been on a series called The Fight, and uh, last week we talked about just the fight in general. We have an enemy, and today we want to talk about a different subject. If you have Nehemiah, you want to turn there, please do. But uh, look at the screens, Nehemiah 4, verse 14. Uh, something about building the wall. <laughs> just saying, I mean, whatever your opinion is, they, they were building walls back then. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Uh, look at the line there. He said, fight for your families. Would you say that with me? Fight for your families. Now let's all say it together. Fight for your families. How many of you believe your family is worth fighting for? And I believe the family is worth fighting for. We live in a very precarious time today as we look at the family. But I believe the family is worth fighting for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you for the word today and the worship today. And God, we're encouraged by what we've heard and what we felt and the, the songs and the music. But today as we get into your word, help us to understand what you're saying by your spirit. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. Some first grade kids were asked about love and marriage and family. And so Lynette was asked, is it better to be single or married? And she's uh, very young. It's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need someone to clean up after them. <laughs> Why does love happen between two particular people? Well, Jan said, no one knows why it happens, but I've heard it has something to do with how you smell. That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. Harlan said, I think you're supposed, to be get, you're supposed to get shot with an arrow or something, but the rest of it isn't supposed to be that painful. Uh, what's the role of good looks in love? Well, this is what Jeannie said. If you want to be loved by someone who isn't already in your family, it doesn't hurt to be beautiful. And uh, Gary said, it isn't always just how you look. Look at me. Now, now Gary's seven. Look at me. I'm handsome, and I haven't got anybody to marry me yet. And Christine said, beauty is skin deep, but how rich you are can last for a long, long time. Ha! I love her. So what's the best age to get married? Judy said, 84. Because at that age, you don't have to work anymore. You can just spend all your time sitting at home just loving each other. And then Tom said, how do you make love endure? He said, spend most of your time loving instead of going to work. Roger said, don't forget your wife's name. That will mess up your love. And Randy said, be a good kisser. It might make your wife forget that you never take out the trash. <laughs> be a 
good kisser. Well, you know, today in our families, uh, we, uh, we, we do have a lot of humor, and these are funny responses, but uh, many of the challenges of families are really real, aren't they? And they're, they're deep, and they, they can hurt, and there's a lot of issues there. Sociologist Professor Caitlin Collins in a recent ABC News article said the United States is one of the most family-hostile countries across the world, which is really sad. And we do live in a culture and environment that's tough on the family. And it's tough on your family, and sometimes it's tough on my family. And Nehemiah realized the importance of fighting for your family. And one of the things he said, he said, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, fight for your homes. And as he said that, He's focusing on the fight that they're fighting in that time and in that place. Now, most of you know this story about Nehemiah. That they were actually building with one hand and had a sword in the other hand. You build and you fight. You build and you fight. You build and you fight. You, you, you build your family. You fight for your family. You, you build for the church. You fight for the church. You, you, you do the things you have to do to make this work. And as we read this, we realize the family's important is, is astronomical. The family is the building block of all society. Before there was ever a church, there was a family. Before there was ever a government, there was a family. Before there was ever a nation, there was a family. The family is God's idea. God put Adam and Eve together. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And he says, you have a family. And that family is the success of the church, the nation, the world. And so we need to have successful families. And most of us know that sometimes there are not successes. Sometimes there are setbacks. But I'm so glad God forgives and he heals and he moves us forward. So today, if you're here, I want you to perk up your ears because you know the family's under attack. We live in a hostile world and the enemy would like to do nothing better than to complicate, distress, and destroy your family. So what we need to do is see what the Word of God says, and one of the ways we become successful and victorious and overcome the enemy is to have a very, very strong family. Let me give you three facts. So let's just talk about that unit of marriage and relationship. Here's fact number one. If you have a pencil and paper, you can write this down. You cannot control your spouse. Some of you are saying, really, Pastor? Tell me something I don't know, but this is what I want you to understand. You cannot control your spouse. There are things that they do that are entirely out of your control. Here's fact two. You can do what is right, and your partner can still choose to do what is wrong. And the third fact is there are issues that every person brings into a relationship that are both positive and negative. We all come from different families, different backgrounds, different moms, different dads. And everybody who comes together, you bring something to the table. You bring some good things, you bring some bad things, right? And we're filtering through those. So those issues that we are, are trying to overcome is something that we all are involved in. And I want us to have a very positive, very healthy relationship relationship in every marriage here. And, and that's possible. How many believe with God all things are possible? And maybe you come today and say, hey, pastor, you don't know we're having issues at home. Well, listen, everybody has issues at home. So let's just look at it from a view. What can we do? How can we learn and glean things that will help us? So I want to give you some things that will help you 
uh, overcome the things that want to come in and sabotage, undermine your marriage, your relationship, and to compromise our commitments. So I want to give you 12. If you have a pencil of paper, you can write these down. We're going to go over them very quickly, but I want to comment just a little bit on each one of them. Number one, try your best to meet one another's needs. Everybody has needs. You have needs, I have needs, so in a relationship, we should be trying to meet one another's needs. Now, sometimes when we get married, we have this idealistic view, and before we're married, we think, well, we love each other, everything will be great. How many of you know it's going to take more than just love? I mean, you, you're going to have to have a lot of things with that love to, to be successful. So we're going to have to meet one another's needs. Number two, we need to keep the communication open. Because how do we know what that person needs if we don't communicate? So we have to be open. And I found out in nearly every marriage, there's a communicator, there's a non-communicator. And the non-communicator doesn't want to communicate. And the communicator tries to force the non-communicator to communicate. And, and it kind of goes back and forth. How many of you get what I'm saying? So we, we need to keep the lines of communication open so we can meet one another's needs. Number three, we need to initiate intimacy. Now, sometimes there's only one person that's always doing the initiation of intimacy. How many of you know we both need to initiate intimacy? And that, that time together, that closeness is something very important in every relationship. Number four, there needs to be sex on a regular basis. Um, everybody all right? <laughs> There must be sex on a regular basis because everybody has different needs. Uh, a woman wants security. She wants confidence. She wants someone who's going to take care of her. A man's number one need sometimes in a relationship is sex. And so we need to meet those needs that everybody has. Go back to number one. Try your best to meet one another's needs. Um, so why would we talk about just these first four things? Well, let me just give you some insight. You were created in the very image of God. God is threefold in nature. You have a body, you have a soul, and you have a spirit. Say it with me. Body, soul, spirit. So we're physical, we're emotional, and we're also spiritual. So if we can connect, the more areas we can connect on, the stronger our relationship. So some people just connect on the physical. And that's good. We need to connect on the physical. We, we need the touch. We need the feel. We need the sex. All those things are good. But how many of you know you're more than just physical? You're, you're emotional. You, you have a soul. So we need to connect in intimacy. We need to connect in communication. We need to connect in friendship. There is that soul tie we need. So if we connect physically, that's a good connection. If we connect emotionally, that's a good connection. But we're also spirit. So we need to connect physically, emotional, and we need to also connect spiritually. And we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. So if we connect physically, emotionally, and spiritually, how many of you know a threefold cord is not easily broken? So the more ties we have in our relationship, the stronger our relationship is. So we need to do that. Number five, we need to establish boundaries with friends and coworkers. Now that doesn't mean we can't have friends. We, we're not, you know, amicable to coworkers. But how many of you know there is a parameter and there's a boundary you shouldn't cross over? Because it doesn't start out, well, I'm going to go have an affair. I'm going to get emotionally involved with this person. It begins incrementally. You begin to talk about things. You begin to share things. And then you get over the line and you share things you shouldn't share. You begin to talk about things you shouldn't talk about. And then all of a sudden something happens. So it doesn't mean that we're putting our guard up to everybody. But how many of you know you should have some guard up? that you protect your relationship and you protect your marriage. Number six, you ought to avoid temptation. 
Now, there are some situations we get into that we need to try to stay out of. I, I shared this story. I've shared it many times. Uh, years ago, when I worked in the workplace uh, in a different job, I had to be gone for a certain amount of time, sometimes a week, sometimes two weeks at a time. We always stayed in hotels. Um, as I worked longer, I didn't have to do that as much. But for years, I was gone a lot of the time, and we stayed in hotels. And sometimes we stayed there months. Uh, we'd leave on the weekend, come home, go back. And so I got to know a lot of the people that stayed there also, some of the people that worked there. I remember I came in one evening, and there was a lady I'd seen there her several times. I'm sure she was out working on the job too. And uh, one day when I came in, she was coming to the hotel about the same time. And she said, you know, there's some people in the hotel that's been giving me some trouble. I feel scared. She said, could you come to my room tonight and stay with me so I'd feel better? And she was a nice-looking lady. She was about 30 years old. And I said, uh, well, listen, if, if you don't feel safe, I would suggest you call the, the hotel office and have them, you know, give you some security and make sure everything's okay. How many of you know it wouldn't have been good for me to go to her room that night and stay so she would feel better? Yeah. Do you remember when we used to have bumper stickers that said, uh, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And people came to me, and they've come to me with problems. Says, well, you know, what would Jesus do in this situation? And I would say, Jesus would never be in this situation. Let me say that again. Jesus would say, I wouldn't be in this situation. So, so we have to watch our guard, and we have to avoid temptation, and we have to be careful with that. And number seven, be transparent with your computer, social media, and your phone. Are you able to take your phone and hand to your spouse and say, you can look at anything on my phone you'd like to look at? For some people, it just freaks them out. Oh, no, don't, don't, don't. let me delete some things before you get it. Boy, it's quiet in here. I must have hit the button. This is something that is rampant in our society. You've got to be careful who you Facebook, who you text, uh, things that you put on your computer, your phone, what you look at. Because if we're going to protect the family and protect our relationships, these are critical things. We have to be transparent with our computer, our social media, and our phone. And, and you know, uh, and, and listen, my, my wife is on Facebook. We have a Facebook page at the church. I'm not against that. Technology is a blessing. And technology is a curse. It depends on how you use it. So it is good and then it can be bad. So we have to be careful how we use it. And you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, people are saying things, uh, you know, about me on Facebook or they're bullying me on Facebook. And I, I can't relate to that because I don't do Facebook. I don't have a Facebook page. So I, I understand that there's some things out there that people get wrapped up in. And I just say, don't look at it. That's so deep. And sometimes Carrie... Uh, even comes to me and says, well, you know what so-and-so said or you know what they did? And I said, how does that affect my daily life? And I say, zero. <laughs> Listen, I'm giving you some real good advice here today because we're fighting the good fight of faith for our families. Here's number eight. Date your mate. Say that with me. Date your mate. Let's say it again. Date your mate and be romantic. You stick in the mud? No, date your mate. And I'm going to tell you, I've been horrible about that early on in life. 
It's almost like we date her mate and we're, we're wine and roses and sweet music and then we get married. I got them. Don't have to do that anymore. So, so I have decided that I've got to do better. So for the last several years, Carrie and I try to always every week have a date night. And, and understand our date night may be going to Walmart. <laughs> it's not really, you know, that, that great. But, but, you know, maybe we go out to eat. Maybe we go shopping. Maybe we go to the movies, which we don't do that often. But you need to date your mate. Whatever, you know, floats your boat, I don't care. But you need to date your mate. There, there are things that you need to do together, and you still need to be romantic. Number nine, share your interests, hobbies, and recreation. So there are things that they like that you don't. You need to get into the work their world, you need to get in his world, you need to get in her world. Uh, Carrie likes to go shopping, she goes to the mall, I go with her, I take her, I say you just go and stay as long as you want to, I'll be out here on the bench with the other men, we're good. And uh, you know, there, there are times that she says I want to go to this and I go and, and, and sometimes she goes with me and I know she doesn't really like it but we go together. Uh, I remember one time she said, what are you getting ready to do? And it was cold, kind of, uh, you know, icy and snow. And I said, I'm going to feed the cows. She said, I'm going to go with you. I said, that's great. Let's go. So she got in the truck and we loaded up the hay and we went out to feed the cows. And, and uh, she said, do you want me to get out and help you? And I said, if you want to, come on. So I, I'm out there pulling wrap off big round bales and feeding cows. And I looked over there and she's sniffling and she's almost crying. And I said, what's wrong? She said, I can't feel my hands. <laughs> I said, well, go get in the truck. And I got back in the truck. She said, I didn't know you wanted me to get out and work. <laughs> hey, get in their world. This is my world. So number 10, be positive, polite, and complimentary. How many of you like being around negative people? No, we don't like that. Why would you want to be negative in your relationship? You know, everything's bad, everything's horrible, I'm going to eat a worm. And listen, if someone hears that all the time, it is just a bummer. It's so down. So be positive. And sometimes we're turned certain ways, but how many of you know we can unturn that? Because God can help us with the issues that we have. So be positive and uh, be polite. You know, say thank you. And, you know, I, I tell Carrie, you know, when she cooks, I say, this is really good and uh, I appreciate that and you can give compliments number 11 fight fair and practice forgiveness and I said this last week I've heard people say well we've never had a fight and I said what planet are you from but we're going to have we're going to have differences and we're going to have some arguments and we're going to have some intense fellowship at times but hey fight fair practice forgiveness do not let the sun go down on your wrath and some of you have been up for a long time, I know. But that is what the Word of God says. So we have to fight fair. We have to practice forgiveness. And number 12, we need to pray together. We need to have some spiritual togetherness, some spiritual bonding. That's why I said if we could connect on all three levels, the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual, we have a tie that is closer than any of the tie. If someone's connected physically, good. If they're connected emotionally, good. But if we connect spiritually, even better. We have three ties of our makeup that makes our relationship stronger. And let me tell you, strong family, strong church. Strong churches, strong community. Strong community, strong towns and cities. Strong towns and cities, strong nation. America needs help. And we can fight that kind of fight. 
And we must fight that kind of faith, fight in the fight of faith. The commitment to the things of God not only will help our marriages and us individually, but it will help our families as a whole. It will help our children and our grandchildren. And there are so many pitfalls for the family that we need to avoid that we can do the things that will help us. And it is a challenge to be strategic and intentional in the way that we can live and fight for our families. Can I hear an amen? Now, let me ask you a couple of questions here. How many parents and grandparents here today have children and grandchildren on campus in church? Raise up your hand really high. So I commend you for that. How many of you have children or grandchildren that are worshiping not in this church but somewhere else at a different location? Thank you. That's awesome. There are also people that have children and grandchildren that are AWOL. They're prodigal. But this is what I know. We're still fighting for them. And we're still praying for them. I want you to know today that all the prayers that you've prayed and all the fasting you've done and all the calling out of their names at night and pleading the blood of Jesus over them does matter. And God hears that. And he will continue to hear that. And I believe as we pray and as we fight and as we plead the blood, God moves in our families. So don't you give up. And don't you... Quit fighting. And as we keep fighting, God is going to move in our families. Can I hear an amen? amen? Train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, 6. Now, it doesn't say from the time they're younger till they're old, they may not have some episodes. How many of you have had some episodes since you left home and got back to the Lord? I'm going to hold both hands up. But I know this. My little mother was praying. My dad was concerned. My family had hope. I have people still ask me today, how'd you get to be a preacher? I said, I don't know. I came to church watching my wife get baptized one night. Here I am. God has a way of moving in our life. God has a way of getting our attention. He has a way of, uh, of steering us back to where we need to be. He can do that with your child, my child, your grandchildren, my grandchildren. So we have to realize God's at work. And moms and dads, while they're with us, we're to train them just like the scripture said, train up the child. And how many you know it's both of our responsibilities? And uh, it doesn't just fall on one, it falls on both. However, if you don't have help, it's difficult, not impossible, but it's difficult. The discipline, the correction, the spiritual training, and I know there are single parents, moms and dads that are doing their best by themselves and we need to pray for them. But men, let me call you out today. And the reason I'm going to call you out is because you have, I think, the greater responsibility. Now, contrary to popular belief, the man is to lead his family. The man is to cover his home. He said, Pastor, are you just some kind of, uh, you know, sexist person? No, I'm just going to read you what the Word says. So when we look at this biblically, we know the men should be stepping up. They have a huge responsibility. They are the providers, the priests, and the protectors of their home. So men, you are the provider, you're the priest, you're the protector of your house. And as men, we should step up and we should love and give leadership over our family. We're providing an umbrella 
We're providing an umbrella of covering over our families, over our wife and our children. And ladies, this is not something that they're trying to dominate you with, and they should not. If they do, they're out of the word of God, but they're there to give you security. They're there to help you, protect you, provide for you, and be the priest over that household. So, so dads, we have some responsibilities. I'm going to give you three, and I'm going to read three verses and tell you what they'll say. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 13, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those that fear him. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Do you realize these verses in the Old Testament find their way over to the New Testament? Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up or get up. The three things he addresses here is love them, discipline them, and train them and instruct them. Love them, discipline them, and instruct them. I want to guarantee you if every dad did those three things to their children, our police would have a better job. Our teachers and our administrators would have a better job at the school. Our communities, our world, our prisons, if we could get men to do those three things, our world would be a better world. So men, we have to step up. 2 Peter chapter 2, here's an interesting verse. And I'm not trying to take this out of context, but I want you to think. Verse 5, Peter talks about the end of the world. How many of you know there's an end of the world coming? One day, God's going to wrap this up, and he's going to say, time shall be no more. So I hope you're in Christ when that happens. But he refers us back, and I want you to see this. In verse 5, he talks about God did not spare the old world. Now, what are we talking about? We're talking about the flood. God destroyed the world at one time with a massive flood. He spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now, notice how he describes Noah here. The eighth person. Say that with me. The eighth person. Let's say it again. The eighth person. Why is he referred to as the eighth person and not the first person? Because he's their first, right? I mean, he's the one who married his wife. Mrs. Noah, we don't know really her name, I don't think, but he married Mrs. Noah. They had three sons, and then they married. So when the flood comes, Noah and his wife and the three boys and the three daughter-in-laws, they're getting ready to go on the ark. But the Bible calls Noah the eighth person. Can you think in your mind that maybe he's called the eighth person because of this? Honey, I want you to go ahead and get in the ark. Come on, boys, you and your wives, go ahead and get in. Could it be he was the eighth person to go in that door and walk up that gangplank before God shut the door? He wanted to make sure all of his family was in the ark safe before that destruction came. The eighth person. Was he the eighth person that walked in? Could be. That's how Peter refers to him, the eighth person. So listen, guys, we need to make sure we're leading our family into a place of safety. So you need to be the eighth person. Can I hear an amen? Now, I want you to look at a verse with me, and I'm going to put it up on the board. We're going to close with this today. In Ezekiel 43, Ezekiel is describing the temple. Now, we understand there were natural temples. How many of you know the Bible says there's a temple in heaven? 
You're the temple of the Holy Spirit on this earth. But when Ezekiel describes the temple, there's some unusual terminology here that I want you to see. In verse 12 of chapter 43, he says, This is the law of the house. Upon the top of the mountain, the whole limit thereof round about shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the house. Have you noticed that God's repeating himself? Now, I always say this, and I hope you don't get tired of this. I repeat things because I forgot what I said. I mean, you know, God doesn't repeat things because he forgot what he said. I tell you why God repeats things, so we'll get it. Verily, verily, I say unto you, truly, truly, I say unto you, this is the law of the house. This is the law of the house. So we want to get the law of the house. And 13 says, and besides these are the measures of the altar after the cubits. The cubit is a cubit and a handbreadth. Even the bottom shall be a cubit and the breadth. Now, if you know anything about Jewish measurements back then, they measured from body parts. A cubit was the distance from right here in the crook of your hand to the tip of your finger. That's a cubit. That's how they measured things. That's a cubit. A breadth is the distance of your fingers. That's a breadth. So if you were to find out how long a cubit was, it is six breaths according to Scripture. Now, men, you can try this with me. I tried it last night, tried it on Matt, tried it on some other people. And if you're normal, this works. If you're not normal, I, 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 can't, I can't understand where you're at here. So if you, you take your breath, your four fingers, and put it right up here in the very crook. Come on, we're, we're, we're practicing. Put it right here and in, in, in cram it up into your... Yeah. And so you go there and you move over to where your little finger is. Two, three, four, five, six. Most of the time you're going to come out right at the tip of your finger. Isn't that amazing? So a cubit is six breaths. They come out pretty close to you. Do you know six is the number of man? But look at this, what Ezekiel said. God said, but the altar, the altar is going to be a cubit and a breath. Do you see it? The altar is going to be a cubit and a breath. But you know what? When I come to six, I'm at the end of my hand. And six is the number of man. That's as far as I can go. I wonder if that seventh is not the hand of God that we need in our lives. I'm going to tell you why. There are times in your marriage, there are times with your children, you can go as far as you can go. You come at the end of the limit of where you're at. And guess what God is saying to you? When you come to the end of your limit, you haven't come to the end of my limit. You see, if six is the number of man, can I tell you what the number seven is? Seven is the number of God. Sometimes you said this, man, I met my wits in with my daughter. Don't shout it out at me. I'm at my wit's end with my son. I'm at my wit's end with my husband, with my wife, 
I understand we can go so far. But how many of you know God can go where we can't go? When we get to the end of our road, when we get to the end of our rope, when we get to the end of our hand, then the hand of God comes in and says, let me make up what you can't make up. Now, there's a verse in the Bible you're very familiar with. The Bible says that children are like arrows in the hands of a mighty man. And you know what those mighty men do? They take the arrows out of their quiver and they put it in the bow and they stretch it back and they aim at a target and they release it. You know what you do with arrows, men? To have arrows, you have to, you have to form and you have to shape them. You have to get them to be an arrow. And then you sharpen them. And then you shoot them. That's what you do. What do we do with our children? We shape them. We form them. That's number one. Then we sharpen them. That's number two. And the last thing we do, according to Scripture, is we shoot them. We, we, we shoot them to a target. And not my target. According to Scripture, it's the way that they should go. Not the way that I think they should go. Right? Because sometimes I think they should do this. And how many of you know they don't always do what I think they should do? But God is saying, when you reach the end of your limit... I'm going to add another breath. You can only go so far. But here's, here's the closer. When Israel has been under the, the reign of Joash the king, and many of you will remember this, Syria has tried to attack several times, and every time they tried to attack, there was a prophet of God by the name of Elisha that always stood up and says, okay, this is how you defend them. This is where they're coming from. This is what you do. And, and they were never able to conquer Israel. But the Bible says that Elisha got sick, and it would be the sickness that he would die from. So he's about to die. So Joash comes to Elisha, and she, he says, oh, my father, what, what are we going to do? I don't know what to do. You, you're you're going to go on to be with the Lord and we don't have a prophet over Israel yet. I don't know what to do. And guess what Elisha did? He said, get your bow and get your arrows. He said, put the arrow in the bow and stretch it back and, and, and aim it out the window. Do you realize what Elisha did at that moment? He took his hand and he put it on the hand of the king that had the bow. And he put his other hand where the king had the arrow. And he said, shoot. Sometimes in your life and my life, we've got it stretched back and we need another hand to come and get a hold of us. Sometimes in my life and your life, we're at a point where we say, I've gone as far as I can go. I've prayed and I've fasted. I've pleaded the blood. God, what do I do next? And God says, let me take your hand. Let me take your hand and get a hold of your hand because I can do things that you can't do. Listen, friends, we want the Almighty God, when we reach our limit, to take his hand and say, I'm going to go a little bit further. I'm going to put my hand on your hand and I'm going to help you. As you fight for your family, as you fight for your children, as you fight for your job, your finances, I'm here to tell you the hand of God wants to put his hand on your hand. That's powerful.
That's very powerful. The Bible says that all the waters of the earth can fit in the palm of the hand of God. You want to know how strong God's hand is? Goodness gracious, he has a strong, strong hand. Would you bow your head with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.